Welcome to the Gallipod with me, Gallipocidia. In this episode, I'm reading part two of my fic, Scaredy Cat. If you're not here for dry fanfic, you're in the wrong place. Content warning. This story deals with themes of depression and PTSD. I hope you enjoy Scaredy Cat. Chapter three. Harry had several other cases he was working on. Malfoy worked from home. They ate their meals separately because Harry tended to eat at his desk at the office. Malfoy was polite, vaguely hostile, and spent most of his time in his room. He was also very popular. Harry hadn't been this social in years because people came around every day to see Malfoy. He'd come home and hear Pansy Parkinson cackling away in Malfoy's bedroom, or Ron and Hermione would be in the kitchen with Malfoy playing cards. One time, Harry found Luna crying on Malfoy's shoulder in the sitting room. Harry backed quietly out and never mentioned it. Is it true that Malfoy's scared of me? Harry asked Blaze. Malfoy was cooking something in the kitchen with Ron and Hermione, but Blaze never helped with anything if he could help it. He was ensconced in the sitting room with a gin and tonic in each hand. Scared of you? No, why would you say that? said Blaze. His eyes darted around the room. He wasn't a good liar, although he seemed like someone who would be. Come on, said Harry. He adores you. Harry fixed Blaze with an exasperated look. He does not adore me. Blaze sighed. Draco is not really over the war, he said. Neither am I. Neither is anyone. Blaze looked at him for several seconds. Harry, I don't want to overstep, but are you... all right? I'm fine, answered Harry automatically. Hmm, said Blaze, still watching him. Then he leant back and took a deep sip of gin and tonic. Draco's such a forthcoming drunk. Okay, said Harry. He was still shaken by Blaze's question. Hermione asked him that, sometimes, and Mrs Weasley, but it never seemed to register. They loved him in ways that felt concrete and blind. Draco doesn't talk about the war, said Blaze, but when he's drunk he's quite, quite open. Are you suggesting I get him drunk and force him to talk to me? Blaze looked pained. What an ugly way to put it, he said. I'm not doing that, said Harry. Blaze smiled and muttered to himself. What? asked Harry. Gryffindor, said Blaze. But, you know, it's not the sort of deceit that Draco feels betrayed by. In fact, Blaze looked pensive. I'm not sure deceit is the way to wound Draco at all. Consider... Lying is so often a way to care. I think I can do without that sort of care myself, said Harry, bitterly. It had come up his throat, the bitterness. Unexpected, like bile. He stood. Harry, said Blaze. Going to bed, said Harry. Blaze looked as if he wanted to say something, but all he said in the end was good night. Two days later, Harry came home late from work to a drunk Draco Malfoy and Blaze, smug and black-eyed and watchful. "'Hello, Harry,' he said. "'How many maidens did you rescue from fates worse than death today?' "'Saving the world,' said Malfoy, into his wine glass. "'Wine, Potter?' "'No, thanks. Blaze.' Blaze made a show of looking at his pocket watch. "'Look at the time! I'd love to stay and chat, Harry, but I can't. Simply can't.' "'Blaze.' "'Good night. Do keep Draco company, won't you?' He'll get dour if he's left. I'm cheery, said Draco. 
as an earthquake. Good night, all, said Blaze, and disapparated, which was both rude and proof of his, in Harry's opinion, sinister sobriety. Malfoy peered up at him. Wine? he offered again. All right, said Harry, and poured himself a glass. Cheers, said Malfoy. They clinked glasses, then sat in silence on opposite ends of the sofa. Harry didn't know what to say. He knew what Blaze intended, for Harry to simply ask all of his burning, hurting questions. But it felt like taking advantage. Sorry I'm in your house, said Malfoy, abruptly. I invited you, said Harry. Under duress, because Hermione cried, said Malfoy. Yeah, but I would have done it anyway if it was what was needed. Malfoy frowned and placed his glass on the side table. He stared at it very hard, licked his finger, then began to make the crystal sing, running his index along the rim. He glanced at Harry. I'm being rude, he said. Are you? Malfoy nodded. You're never supposed to do this, he said. He stopped. Harry tried to do it with his own glass, but it stayed obstinately silent. It's not working, he said. You'll need, said Malfoy. He shuffled to his knees, took Harry's hand, and licked the tip of Harry's index finger. He did it so quickly and in so businesslike a manner that for a moment Harry was fooled into believing it was a perfectly normal thing to do. But by the time he had remembered that it was not, in fact, acceptable to go around licking other people's fingers, Malfoy was already back on his side of the sofa. Try it now, he said. And when Harry did, it worked. The glass sang a pure, clear note of music. Harry forgot his discomposure. He had felt Malfoy's tongue piercing and grinned. Malfoy did not grin back. He only watched Harry, his features solemn. Neville thinks we're shagging, he said. Uh, why? Malfoy's eyebrows moved up and down in a quick, puzzling movement. He's always been a bit threatened by you. He picked up his glass, and then put it back down, unsipped. He thinks I have a crush. Do you? Malfoy just laughed. Harry hadn't had anything to drink, but he felt suddenly drunk, dizzy and hopeful and sad. I heard something about you, said Harry. His words sounded loud in his ears. Oh dear, said Malfoy, and put his head on the sofa arm. What? Someone told me that you were... It seemed preposterous to say it. Self-important and stupid. Malfoy lifted his head. He looked utterly miserable. What? Gay? Evil? Thought I'd already come out about those. Scared, said Harry. Of me. Malfoy just stared at him. Which is fucked up, clarified Harry, because I saved your life, and spoke for you at your trial, and you know me. I don't know you, said Malfoy. Obviously it was stupid, and not true, what that person said, said Harry. Malfoy looked at his hands. Malfoy, said Harry. His voice sounded too stern. I'm drunk, said Malfoy unhappily. Harry breathed out. Sorry, you're right. Sorry, I shouldn't have asked, he said. Malfoy frowned, still not looking at him. It's just, Harry said, not completely sure he could control the words. You were never scared of me, ever, at school. And what the fuck is even scary about me? I mean, that's fucking insulting, actually, right? Because uh, snakes are scary, Malfoy shuddered. 
And, and murderers are scary, Harry went on. Which, by the way, I never did murder anybody, and neither did you, so... He trailed off. Malfoy swallowed and closed his eyes, as if he was stealing himself to say something very important. What he said was, Um... Harry shook his head. Sorry, he said. I'm... Yeah, I'm going to bed. Sorry, again. Do you need anything? No, said Malfoy, very quietly. Thank you. When Harry left, Malfoy still sat on the sofa, looking at his hands. I tried to cast Septimsempera, summer of sixth year. Harry span around. He had been chopping green chilli peppers and hadn't heard Malfoy come in. It had been almost a week since the night Malfoy was drunk, and Harry had been avoiding him ever since. Sorry? he asked. Malfoy shifted on his feet. He wore muggle clothes around the house, soft cable-knit jumpers and skinny jeans so tight that Harry had to forcefully remind himself not to stare. On a horse, said Malfoy. A dead horse. I don't go around torturing animals. I know, said Harry, mystified. Malfoy leant against the doorframe. He never seemed to come into rooms if he could hover at their edges instead. So, dead horse... Off to the glue factory that weekend. I figured... Anyway, I tried to cast it. Sectumsempra. He frowned and plucked at a bit of lint on his jumper. Didn't work. It's one of those intention spells, you know? Where you have to mean it. He glanced at Harry. You've got to, um... Really want to slice someone open. To hurt them. You have to really want them to hurt. Draco said Harry, helplessly. And, you know, I get it, I do. And you were angry. So when you weren't angry in the room of requirement or at the trials, what I mean is, it's something I admire about you, actually. That I cursed you. That you did what was right instead of what you wanted. Sorry, just to check, said Harry. You think I have some intense desire to murder you that I overcame because of my moral fortitude? Malfoy gave an abrupt bark of laughter. Yes. That's not... Draco, that, that's not it at all. I'm Draco all of a sudden. Everyone calls you Draco, said Harry. He was still holding the knife. He put it down. You don't, said Draco. Yeah, because you call me Potter. I couldn't, spluttered Draco. It would have been incredibly presumptuous if I had started being like, Oh, Hazza, Hazza and I go way back. I'm not saying you should have called me Hazza. Draco turned into a kitten and fled under the sofa. Harry finished cooking, ate his food, tried several times to coax the kitten out from under the sofa to no avail. In the night, he turned over and elbowed the kitten in the face. Shit, said Harry, as the kitten gave a piteous, sleepy meow, moved a foot away to sit on the crook of Harry's knee and went back to sleep. Harry stared at him for a moment, then lay back down. He next woke up because Draco Malfoy the human all six feet of him, was getting off the bed. Draco, said Harry. It was the early hours of the morning. The light slanted delicately through the curtains, fresh and tentative. Draco paused with a hand on the post at the foot of Harry's bed. I got cold, he said. I can turn up the heating spells, said Harry. No, it's fine, said Draco. He wouldn't look at Harry and seemed to be waiting for his dismissal. Draco, said Harry. 
Draco lifted his eyes, like a guilty creature awaiting punishment. Harry sat up a bit in bed. I like you, he said. Draco's mouth dropped slightly open. Sorry, that came out wrong, said Harry, hastily. I'm not... this isn't a confession of... I mean, I like you as a person. Draco looked no less surprised. You're funny, said Harry. You take care of Hermione. A long pause. Say something, said Harry. I like you too, said Draco. You don't have to say that. Draco knocked on the bedpost, clearly just because he wanted something to do with his hands. So, he said, what now? Uh, said Harry. Friends? Draco smiled, not looking up. Okay, he said. Chapter 4 When Harry got back from work that evening, Draco was waiting in the kitchen with fish and chips. Friends have dinner, he said. It is known, agreed Harry. Do you eat fish and chips? I honestly eat everything, said Harry. They sat at the table, spreading the greasy paper and doling out vinegary chips without speaking. Draco was smiling too much. It looked uncomfortable. How did you become friends with Ron and Hermione? asked Harry. Aggressively, said Draco, and with ulterior motives. Right, well, of course, said Harry. And it's easier when you're eighteen, because you're more sure of things, said Draco. Harry gave a wry smile. That's true, he said. Not sure of anything much these days. Anyway, they were surprisingly receptive, said Draco. Don't know why. It was lovely becoming friends with Marcus and Blaze and everyone, said Harry. Blaze is obsessed with you. No, he isn't, said Harry. Oh, not in a sexual way, said Draco. You're not his type. Wait, are you even into guys? I think I'm into anything, said Harry. Don't think the mechanics make much of a difference to me. Hmm, that's refreshing. Anyway, I just meant that Blaze thinks you're fascinating. He's always saying he wants to write your biography. God, why? You should let him, by the way. He's an excellent writer. And he'd do a better job than Eloise Midgen. What has she got to do with it? Asked Harry, who hadn't thought about Eloise Midgen since he was about fourteen. Don't you know... She wrote your biography. What? It was crap. You read it? Oh, yeah, said Draco. I have a post-war reading group. Well, I say group, it's just me and Norton and Goyle. That's a bit fucked up, said Harry. Draco nodded solemnly. Yes, he said. We read all the stuff written about the war. That doesn't sound healthy, said Harry. It's not. Why would you do that? But Draco went vague. Oh, you know... He waved his hand. But Blaze would do a great job. Not yet, obviously. Wait till you're in your fifties and have taken out a few more Dark Lords. Not planning on taking out any more Dark Lords, said Harry. Sorry, said Draco, looking embarrassed. I was being glib. Harry tilted his head. I know, Draco. Right, this is terrible. Is it terrible? Terrible, said Harry. I'm not at my best when you're around, said Draco. You're doing fine said Harry. How am I doing? Fine, said Draco. Maybe we're both being very charming, actually. (laughs) Yeah, maybe, said Harry, and Draco smiled. They spent a lot more time together after that, although it wasn't quite comfortable. 
and had a habit of clarifying when he was joking, as if he thought Harry was incapable of figuring it out. I'd kill for mint chocolate chip ice cream, he said once, then flushed and added, not actually. Really? You wouldn't AK someone for an ice cream? said Harry. It was very late on a Wednesday, and Harry lay on the kitchen floor because there was no food in the house, and it was hopeless. Draco frowned. He stood by the open kitchen cabinet, poking through old cans. You're making fun of me, he said. Yeah, Draco nodded, then pulled out a can of butter beans. This will do with some salt. My life is depressing, said Harry, as if he was joking. And it worked, because Draco laughed. But if Draco wasn't quite as exuberant around Harry as he was with Ron and Hermione, he would at least look Harry in the eye, ask him questions, talk to him. It was a marked improvement. Every suspect Harry investigated was innocent. It was an impossible case, and although Draco never complained, well, he complained in a way that was more comedy than complaint, Harry knew it troubled him. He was, after all, largely confined to the house. Harry overheard him talking about it seriously with Hermione. The longer I'm not at the office, the more dispensable I become, he said. They love you, said Hermione. Huh. Anyway, you can sue them if they sack you. There's my girl, said Draco, although he didn't really sound reassured. A few times, he received letters from Lucius, which invariably prompted him to turn into a kitten. The same thing always happened then. He hid from Harry until he got cold and lonely, then climbed into bed with him. When he crept away in the morning... Harry pretended not to wake up. Twice, Neville came over. I'm not doing this again, said Harry, and left the house for three hours. When he came back, both times, Draco was a kitten. Tell him to stop visiting, said Harry, the second time. Draco had come back to himself quicker than usual, and insisted on making margaritas. I make them strong, said Draco. Hope you like headaches in the morning. I could tell him to stop coming over, said Harry. It fucks you up. And it's not like you're going to take him back. I've invited eight people over. It's an impromptu party. Draco, you're not going to take him back. Draco handed Harry a margarita. Hermione says I never really loved him, he said, not looking at Harry. And? Did you? asked Harry. Blaze emerged from the fireplace. Impromptu party, he said, kissing Draco on both cheeks. Hello, Harry. Tell me truthfully... How many innocent lives did you improve today between the hours of nine and twelve? Where do you buy your shirts? asked Draco. Draco, said Harry. I don't know, Harry, said Draco, honest and serious. Did I interrupt something? asked Blaze gleefully. I heard the most dreadful thing about you and a paddle, Harry. I wouldn't have believed it if Ron Weasley hadn't been my source. Leave Harry alone, said Draco. It's not his fault he's an insatiable sadist. Oh, fuck both of you, said Harry. We've never done that, but I, for one, am willing, said Blaze. Do you know what Oscar Wilde said about Swinburne? asked Draco. Blaze sighed and threw Harry a significant look. No, but I'm sure you'll tell me whether I want you to or not, he said. He said, let me see, that Swinburne had done everything he could to convince his fellow citizens of his homosexuality and bestiality without being in the slightest degree a homosexual or a bestializer. You wound me, said Blaze. I have never claimed to be a bestializer. Harry told himself he would bring up Neville again the next morning, but Draco had been quite right about the strength of his margaritas. Harry's headache was so debilitating that he had to call in sick at work, which he had never done before. 
Harry was so busy with Draco and Draco's 5,000 closest friends that he didn't notice that he hadn't been quite so low lately until a bad day struck. It started in the morning. His alarm went off and Harry stared at the ceiling, not remembering why it was worth getting out of bed. At work, he stared blankly at an enchanted snow globe with three small children stuck inside and distantly recalled that he had, just yesterday, enjoyed his job. All he felt now was a desire to touch the snow globe without his protective gloves and crawl into a small imaginary world. He forgot to eat lunch. He stood for ten minutes in his office bedroom, the heels of his hands pressed to his eyes, and was gripped by strange, flashing memories. He let them sweep over him. He had learnt it was far more painful to resist. It was bodies, mainly, and not the bodies of people he loved. He never saw Dumbledore or Dobby or Fred or Lupin or Tonks or Sirius. It tended to be the bodies of people he hadn't known at the Battle of Hogwarts. Disjointed, mangled corpses. They came upon him at unexpected moments, like a stabbing pain in the spine, and Harry just tried to breathe, to breathe, to breathe. Grimmauld Place was blessedly empty when he got home. Or at least, Draco was upstairs. Harry made it to the sofa before he burst into dry sobs. He wasn't sure what he was crying about. He had never been much of a crier, and it embarrassed him that he had weakened so much that he couldn't keep it together, when everything was so much easier now than it had been. Seventeen-year-old Harry had gone through a war and barely shed a tear, but twenty-four-year-old Harry couldn't handle a fucking day in the office, what the fuck? There was a sound at the door. Harry looked up. He had taken off his glasses, tears on the lenses such a mess, but he could make out the white blonde hair. He shook his head violently, and Draco left without a word. If Harry hadn't loved him before then, that would have done it. He cried blankly after that, the kind of empty weeping that felt more like shock than anything else. Sometimes Harry was just stunned with horror. When he came out of these periods, he was always impatient with himself. Ron and Hermione hadn't left half their minds on the battlefield. But when the feeling came upon him, there was nothing to be done but buckle down and endure. That was what he was doing, enduring, when he heard a soft little meow at his elbow. Tiny white paws kneaded tentatively at his thigh. Ow! said Harry, surprised. One of the kitten's claws caught on Harry's jeans, and he tried in vain to get his paw free. Harry had to unhook it for him. Hi, said Harry, wetly. The kitten climbed onto his lap. Harry picked him up, put a pillow on his lap so the kitten wouldn't accidentally scratch him, then lowered him down. The kitten nuzzled Harry's jumper, curled close to Harry's stomach, and began to purr vigorously. Harry stroked the kitten under the chin, and he tipped it up rapturously for Harry's fingers. The thing is, said Harry. He blinked and a tear fell on the kitten's fur. Sorry. Um, the thing is, sometimes I miss it. Because there's nothing so vivid as a war. The kitten rolled onto his back. He was so small that Harry could comfortably cover his whole body with one hand. That's a fucking awful thing to say, I know. Sometimes I just want to see colours the way I used to. Harry closed his eyes, remembering. Vividly. The kitten was warm, responsive. Harry was still sad and sick with thoughts, but he was comforted. It was good not to be alone. He wasn't sure how much time had passed when Draco turned back into a human. Harry lay lengthways on the sofa, staring at the heavy ceiling, and suddenly the imperceptible weight of a kitten was replaced by the quite noticeable weight of an adult man. 
Harry pulled his hands away from Draco's body, but Draco didn't move. It seemed as if he was asleep, his cheek pressed into his hands on Harry's chest. Very, very slowly, Harry put his hands on Draco's body. His back muscles were warm through the cotton of his shirt. Harry let his fingers feel the place where Draco's shoulder blades protruded in soft triangles. What happened? asked Draco, sounding very much awake. Sorry, said Harry, removing his hands. There wasn't an obvious place to put them, so he just sort of froze in a jazz hands position, which he was aware was not ideal. It's fine, said Draco. You can. Harry lowered his hands again. Draco had said he could. Harry was visited briefly by the memory of Draco calling Hermione a mudblood in second year. Inexplicably, the thought made him press Draco a little closer. What happened? asked Draco again. You turned into a kitten. I guess something must have stressed you out, said Harry. No, I mean, like, did something happen at work to make you... Draco's voice was muffled. His hands were warm on Harry's chest. Oh, said Harry. No, nothing happened. Draco propped his chin on the back of his hands to look at Harry. His eyes were dark with residual eyeliner. He only wore it sometimes, thank God. He was distracting enough when he wasn't trying to be hot. Harry, said Draco, with a small frown. Are you very sad? Harry couldn't speak for several seconds. Draco watched him patiently. I haven't got anything to be sad about, said Harry. A muscle twitched in Draco's jaw. He lowered his face into his hands for an instant, then raised it again. Shall we have some friends over to play Risk? he asked. Not quite gently, but something close. Gentle adjacent, which Harry found much easier to accept. I'm no good at Risk, said Harry. Draco smiled. You can be on my team, he said. That was part two of Scaredy Cat, written and read by Galapacidia. Tune in next week for part three. Don't forget you can join my newsletter at newsletter.gallopod.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating and a review on the Apple Podcast app, or maybe tell a friend. I also have an Instagram at letthemeatbooks with underscores instead of spaces, so do follow me on there. Thank you so much for listening. 